On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll continue to honor and celebrate the life of Slick Leonard, who passed away on Tuesday at 88 years young. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, it's only been a few days, but Slick's presence is still very much felt. It's not surprising, but I've loved to see how it's brought everyone together within his Pacers family. I know I've had several calls with a few of them over the last few days, and I know it's something they are constantly talking about. Some are in town. Many are not, but as he always did, Slick was a unifier. So on this episode, I wanted to bring you a different perspective. I talked with Mark Monteith on the last episode, a former beat writer, a friend of his. Well, on this one, we're going to go all the way back to his ABA coaching days. After all, Slick's the winningest head coach in ABA history and easily has the most wins in Pacers franchise history with 529, and we're reminded of that at every Pacers home game with the banner in the rafters. I'm talking to David Craig, the Pacers athletic trainer for more than 35 years. And that meant on the road, he was Slick's roommate. Just imagine the stories. No way they got that much sleep, right? He recalls the time where Slick accidentally put an official in a headlock, where he went after the timekeeper, how he required the team to stop by the pub inside the Coliseum after home games. And while they weren't required to have an alcoholic drink, they had to be present because Slick understood the value of being around and how the little things helped with team bonding and chemistry. and So Craig also shares the late-night toast that they always did to end the night. You're nobody until you do something for somebody else. Sounds about right, huh? You can read my Pacers coverage at fieldhousefiles.com, and I do appreciate the support. This is what I do full-time, and the fans, like yourself, are able to make that happen. And if you didn't listen to the last episode, do so. It's with Mark Monteith, former beat writer, And he offered great perspective on Slick, his humble beginnings, and making the most of it, living life to the fullest. Now, here's my conversation with former Pacers athletic trainer, David Craig. All right, now I'm pleased to be joined by David Craig, the longtime head athletic trainer for the Pacers. And on top of that, what that also means was he was the roommate for Bobby Slick Leonard. So plenty of stories probably from him, of course. And so I now welcome him on the program. I obviously worked with David for a couple years in my time with the Pacers decades ago. But uh, David, good to speak with you. I wish it was on better conditions. But um, what have things been like for you and the Pacer family over these last 24 hours? Well, very surreal and tough. Um, We all knew that and the inevitable that you know, that he was getting older and he was having a lot of health issues. And um, we knew that someday, you know, Slick would have to leave us and uh, go to a better place. But um, he was a huge influence on all of us in the Pacer family. Uh, his his family, you know, Nancy and the family were, were great, but he... He headed up everything that occurred early on with the Indiana Pacers um, was because of Slick Leonard. He made it happen. Um, he was one of the strongest leaders I have ever known in my lifetime. Mm. He had the ability to direct and guide people uh, just naturally, just a natural leader. And he made... Everyone wanted to do the best they could 
in whatever they aspired to be. And and he was an example of that himself. You know, I don't know if everybody knows his past, but Slick came from a very poor family yeah. in Terre Haute, Indiana. And just to give you an idea, one day we're, we're over in Terre Haute, and I'm, I'm driving his Lincoln Continental, and uh, he told me to go over the tracks, which I did, and he said, take a left. I said, take a left? Slick, there's, there's nothing here. He said, I want you to drive along the tracks, and I did. He said, stop right here, a few hundred yards. He said, I grew up right here. Mm. I said, Slick, there's nothing here. He said, they tore my house down, but this is where I lived, right here on the tracks. He said, in the wintertime, I would get up in the morning with a bucket and walk along the tracks and pick up coal to heat our one-bedroom house. And he said, that's the way we lived. And then I heard stories from his friends how he would dribble the basketball up on the city bus and dribble as the bus was driving downtown, Terre Haute. He'd dribble off the bus and <laughs> dribble into the sporting goods store and dribble through the store and look at all the, the neat things in the sporting goods store. That, that was yeah. what he enjoyed doing. He'd dribble back up on the bus and dribble home and get off the bus, and that was his day. That's outstanding. I'd, he, never, I'd never heard that dribbling story. Yeah, so the man was obsessed with sports and stuff, and then he told me one thing that made him tough is uh, the soldiers coming back from Korea, they would, they would play in the back alley, and Slick would play with them. He said they were rough, and that's what made him tough and rough, you know, as an athlete is because of those people. And it's clear those sorts of things is what shaped him, and I think in part of that is why he – the biggest thing was just the joy he took with every moment, with every interaction, and he appreciated yes. it. He didn't take those for granted. He loved people, absolutely, yeah. and people loved him because of it. He was a genuine person, and people believed in him because uh, that's the way he was, because he believed in people. Yeah, he brought you know, out the best he would, in everyone. He would take like a Warren Jabali, and he said, well, I can handle him. <laughs> and, you know, nobody else wanted to touch him. But what a great athlete Warren Jabali was. And he just brought out the best in everyone. That's what I think it ultimately yes, came he did. down to. You can talk about his playing days, coaching, broadcasting. I, I think the biggest thing, too, and maybe this is the next direction we go, is how he brought everyone together. Uh, and this is especially Absolutely. in my days here, the last 20 years, let's say, right, um, covering the Pacers, being around the team. It's just the countless times, right, the trainer, you, uh, the team doctor, his former players yes. over at his house, um, just hanging out just because they're yep. part of the bigger family. His home was open to everyone. And that's what you loved. I think you guys still have your annual parties, or at least in normal times, we yeah. have whenever it's a New and, Year's Eve party or July Fourth. And Nancy embraced that. So, and and that's what's nice, you know. Even Jeannie Brown, she she enjoys getting people together at her house, and, and because it meant so much to Roger, this was Roger's family away from New York, people he could trust, because you know Roger 
was hoodwinked in so many ways through his life. And it was hard for him to trust people. But he trusted this family. You know, for 30 days, when I first came with the Indiana Pacers, Roger Brown never even spoke to me. But I noticed he would sit in the back of the training room and watched how I treated his teammates. And he was very observant. And we were getting on a plane to go to New York. And he walked up to me and he said, would you go out to dinner with me tonight? I said, Roger, these are the first words you've ever spoken to me. I said, no, I want you to meet somebody. He wanted me to meet someone who befriended him and loved him and took care of him when he was in high school. It was his high school English teacher. Wow. Who took him to his dentist, had his teeth worked on, took him someplace and bought some clothing for him so he wouldn't be embarrassed coming to school in rags. And he gave him some money so he could pay for his school lunch. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And so, so this man believed in Roger. And because of that, Roger wanted to share that with me. And I was honored that he wanted me to meet this guy. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Nancy, and I don't think we can make enough about how she was almost the backbone of what they did. Drove him everywhere. Um, oh, supported yeah. everything. Yeah, like some, was, was the ultimate life partner, the right? Said, and, I, and I added how important she was. I said, she even coached. <laughs> yeah, she'd probably tell you that too. Yeah, because she, I'll swear, one day, you know, we, we had this um, shoot-around, and everything was spelled out. Jerry Oliver wrote on the board everything that we were going to do, you know, neatly printed it on the board. Okay. And you know that Nancy drove Slick that day down to the game. And, and Slick walks into the room and just takes a towel and erases everything that Jerry's done. And Jerry, <laughs> Jerry's head just dropped. Jerry, and 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 you know that Nancy has been stalking to Slick on the way down to the Coliseum. And he had decided this is what we were going to do that night. And you know that he and Nancy talked about that game on the way down there. That's the way I figured it. I said, Slick and Nancy have been talking about this game all the way from Carmel, Indiana, yep. down to the Coliseum. <laughs> That's outstanding. Do you, do you yeah. know why Slick never drove? I've never, I don't remember a time when he did drive. Did he just not like it? Did he not enjoy it? Did he like just having a conversation? What was that about? Well, it, Nancy listened to Slick. And of course, I think Slick obviously listened to Nancy, but he needed that. Um, when you're a coach and you're driving to the ballgame, you're focused on the ballgame. Sure. And I think it's nice that she did drive him. And the big thing was she drove him home, win or lose, <laughs> which was important. And back in those days, we didn't have a charter flight, you know, to catch. Right. You know, you had to go home, um, you know, go to bed, get back up early in the morning and catch an early flight to a road trip if that's what it was. So, um it was tough. And that reminds me of you guys being on the road trips and obviously being his roommate. I'm sure you got dragged out 
plenty of times. And of course, you know, I know Mark's told a lot of stories about it. Uh, Boyle about <laughs> closing down bars. You were probably a part of that. Corky, of course, as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, we would go out to dinner. Slick said, make reservations for, oh, nine o'clock. Nine o'clock would come around and the restaurant say, well, you, you know, we have a table for you. And Slick says, it's too early. <laughs> uh, we'll just stay. We'll just stay here. You know, and finally at three o'clock in the morning, you know, they kicked us out of the bar and uh, we had our normal toast uh, or our last toast was always, you're nobody till you do something for somebody else. And then we would leave. And in every city, when I was with Slick, I always knew a place that stayed open 24 hours where we could go get supper at 3 o'clock in the morning. That was part of the job description, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it was better than going to bed with nothing. <laughs> How'd you guys recover so quickly? That's the thing I'm wondering about. Like, I've been on the road. I've done that. And at least now you normally would have shoot-arounds. Like, I, I know well, he's I'm stuck gonna, with I'm, beer, right? I'm going to tell you what. Geez. I don't recover like I used to. Okay. I don't think any of us do. <laughs> right? You could stay out all night and just get up and go. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, my get up and go was you get up and you go to shoot-around. Or you go to a team meeting. And after the team meeting, you give treatments the rest of the day till you catch the team bus to, to go to the game. Yeah, it's not Boy, I used to sleep on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Even though it's a commercial flight, that's one way to get through those trips, huh? Yeah. But, you know, the, being with the team, it it keeps you young, and you, you're inspired to, to be a part of it, and it, it, it was fun. I totally get the hook of that, too, because especially for someone like Slick, who's a social being, have it, this is like your second family. You're a part of them. You win together. You lose together. And I'd love for you to speak on this as well because especially in the, the later years, we didn't see that passionate, fiery, angry guy. But there was countless times, I think, at the Dropping Dimes fundraising events. And as he's telling stories, you guys are on stage telling stories. It was yeah. you know, him tearing apart, I want to say, a, uh, the timer down in uh, San Antonio. <laughs> or him oh, choking he, an official or he things He grabbed like that, that guy and pulled him over <laughs> the statistician bench. It was unbelievable. Yeah, we don't. We didn't see much of him uh, get into that, obviously. So he clearly had some kind of switch or some kind of passion for once we're in game, I'm all in. Yep, and you heard about, I told the guys about Wally Rooney down there in San Antonio. Must have been the water down in San Antonio. But he he uh, he looked at me and he says, I'm going after him. When, when he said that, that, that meant, Dave, don't try to stop me. I know what I'm doing. I, I know I'm going to get my ass kicked out of here, <laughs> and I'm trying to inspire the guys to play better basketball. He went out, and he he took his hand to get Wally Rooney's whistle. Well, Wally turned around on him, and before you knew it, Slick had him in a headlock. <laughs> this is the middle of a game. I said, oh, shoot. The league's going to kick him out. But, but you know, Wally, Wally loves Slick. And he wasn't going to do anything to hurt. And he knew he didn't mean to do anything because <laughs> he goes, oh, shoot. I'm sitting there. I got a referee in a headlock. Mm. Yeah, I remember, too, at that fundraiser, the story about, I think it was um, Slick would test guys at bars or in their toughness and how they would react. Uh -huh. And that, yeah. that specific story, I think, related to Mel Daniels. 
Oh, shoot. Shoot, they had to put Mel Daniels on a Bellman's cart to take him back up to the room <laughs> in one occasion. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's a big man to get on a bell cart. Yeah, good luck with that. You're gonna need all. You're gonna need everybody. Um, did, how did how is he to work with? Just in terms of job, because obviously it can be tough. I think between coaching, training staff, you want everybody available. I had no problems. That's awesome. with slick whatsoever. If he thought that it was in the best interest of the long term health of an individual of a player to hold them out, then we were going to hold them out. And he probably got that because he was that player once, right? And so he understood to an extent of being in that position and playing through something yes. or not and what it can do for you. And he knew his anatomy. He knew. Uh, there was a there huh. was an athletic trainer at IU when he was there by the name of Spike Dixon. And there was and he wrote a book called The Dictionary. And <laughs> and Slick understood sports medicine and he understood anatomy. You know, we would be watching a football game, and and somebody get hurt, and he and I bet what the injury was, and if whichever one won, had to buy a six pack for the other. So it was a win win situation. Oh sure, of course, yeah, that's right up his alley. And, and of course, he loved to gamble, so he he loved that. But he was a competitor in everything, all the time. Yep, all the time, competitor. And but he loved people, but he loved competition. And he could find competition in everything. But when it then came down to it, he was about being with others, lifting them up, hanging out with yes. them. And I think the mo thing that is most telling is the, the most valuable thing, right, is his time. It felt like you were the most important thing when you were with him, to yeah. him. And he never, he never, um, you know, he came from poverty. And he never walked by a beggar on the street without putting some money in the guy's hat. Because he, he had been there once before. And it didn't take much to make Slick happy. He just, he just, the biggest thing is he just loved people. And people loved him. Yeah. It won't be the same without him. But I hope Nancy and all of you still come around and hang out often once once everybody's able to. And I look forward, David, to the day where... We're able to fill Banker's Life Fieldhouse, not for a game, but much like it was, I think, for Mel Daniels. We're able to fill it and just celebrate his life, his legacy, screaming, boom, baby, um, in that building together, I think would be I awesome. Wholeheartedly. I was talking with Art Becker today, He's, and he said, how are we going to do this? I said, I don't know. I, I think it'll be a small family affair you know, maybe this week or next week or whenever. But sure. I said the biggest thing is, is it would be nice to have uh, a celebration of life for Bob Slick Litter. And it's and, it, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, banker's life. Shoot, I I think he could fill uh, the um, Lucas Oil. Yeah, Lucas Oil. Absolutely. Me, yeah, I think he could fill Lucas Oil. There's zero doubt about that. And I mean, the, that's the whole community would just to. love to come in there and sit down and talk about the stories and look at some film that's put together. And uh, God, he is such a, a great man, a great, great man. And, you know, I was just lucky to have him in my life. We all were. Yeah. I, the first time I met him was at Sandy's Town Tavern over at college in 38th street 
and I was supposed to meet him to see if he thought it was okay for me to work as his athletic trainer. Huh? How'd you learn about the job? Come recommended or something from Purdue? Yeah, they called. They called me. Okay. Because well, they called Pinky Newell up at Purdue. They said, "You know anybody that's got any pro experience?" And shoot, I'd I'd worked for during the summertime, uh, two years with the Detroit Lions, and and three years uh, with the Minnesota Vikings, and, uh, and so we got talking, and we we sat down and you know had a few drinks and and he said, "You know, I want you to." Be here tomorrow morning at 8.30. You're hired. He said, I want you to go into the office, and I want you to meet John Weiser because I'm going to call him and tell him that I want you as my athletic trainer. He said, you know who I am? I said, yeah, I know who you are. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't know what I'm doing being from IU hiring some guy from Purdue, but you come highly recommended by somebody that Branch McCracken loves. So, uh, I said, well, thank you. That's outstanding. And so I was, I, I had to go up home in West Lafayette, get some clothes, and come back. And the same same week I I got the job with the Pacers was the same week I was drafted into the Army. So I got into the National Guard, and the next summer I did all my basic training in AIT. And the other thing, David, I want to m- mention in all this, too, is back then, I'm sure you were by yourself. And, like, Slick probably yeah. taped his own ankles when he played. You were by yourself, whereas now, the, the traveling group, there's, you know, two strength coaches, two trainers, oh. a nutritionist occasionally. <laughs> I did the business of, I, I did, I had at least six jobs. We counted them one time. Yeah. All by myself. I even did the team laundry. I'm sitting in my house right now that used to be the back hallway. You know, my house was built in 1830. And the back hallway had my washing machine and dryer that my aunt gave me to help me so I could do the laundry for the Pacers. And it wasn't heated. I'd bring the wet uniforms at home. They would be frozen to the floor. And I had to take them in the house and thaw them out to get them in the washing machine. I think that's what people don't understand about times back then yeah you had to do laundry you were equipment manager you were trainer yeah you were a massage yep. therapist <laughs> everything yep. traveling secretary you name it oh yeah absolutely yeah coordinator for all of that no that's we had a good we had a good time though and you know uh, and, and my roommate was slick so and, and, and on the way to a game on the road he'd go you know call up downstairs and have a bartender come up here. Let's have a party after the game, and and we'll 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 invite the opposing coach and and, and trainers and players and uh and and the referees. They all come to the room. <laughs> He's bringing everybody together because that's exactly what he, he does. And that's to me, what he did. that's You're right. that's my biggest takeaway in everything. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like we had a rule: if you didn't show up at a designated location you know it could be a bar restaurant whatever yeah because yeah, slick was going to buy the team was going to buy one round of drinks for everybody but if you didn't show up and you could bring a friend if you wanted but if you didn't show up the next time we met you bought the first round of drinks and i love that it's something so simple so easy uh-huh. and straightforward as well and that helps contribute to the team bonding, the team chemistry, whatever, because that's an incredibly valuable piece, whether it's five minutes or 30 minutes. It's expected. You knock it out, 
And it's something to always look forward to and because you're in it together. Yep. And that was win or lose. Like, you know, we had a, a little corner in the Coliseum called the pub. And everybody was expected to go by the pub okay. before you got in your car and you went home. Of course, then after they left the pub, they went over to Nettos at the Meadows. <laughs> <laughs> I like that old Bob Nettolecki. And there's a lot of st- there's a lot of stories about that place too. Oh, I can imagine. We probably don't need to record those. Um, <laughs> those are those are probably some great times. And uh, oh, yeah, David, yeah. I, I thank you so much for jumping on. Good to catch up with you. People don't know too. You continue to treat individuals, former Pacers, current athletes, yeah. help with slick when needed. Um, and that speaks to your character as well and how you are part of that bigger family. So Thanks, Scott. As I said to David, I look forward to the day, hopefully in a few months, where Banker's Life Fieldhouse will be open to all that want to be there for a celebration of Slick's life. Bringing people together, that's just what he would have wanted. Thanks for listening to this Fieldhouse Files podcast, and I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>